0: Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. All right, thanks, Pastor Brandon. <laughs> the only one here. Just, we'll just we'll talk this morning. Hey, uh, welcome. Um, if this is your first time uh, joining us, uh, I want to welcome you to this gathering of Christ Covenant Fellowship. Uh, we're happy you're here. Uh, my name is Tyler Cash. I have the the joy and privilege uh, to serve as uh, one of the pastors. Um, of this body of believers, and, uh, and we're glad you're here. Uh, love to have you join us at the cookout. I'll probably remind you again after uh, the service towards the end, but I uh, would love to just get to know you, fellowship, and uh, see how we can serve uh, you. Uh, this is the last week of our study in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. We've spent about 16, 17 weeks here, and it's been a a great encouragement to me personally. Uh, It's been a great challenge and uh, just super practical applications that uh, that Paul gives to this church that are easily uh, transferable to our day and age. Uh, If you have not, uh, or if you missed some of the sermons, you wanted to to catch up on them, you can always, uh, we have a Spotify Uh, You can go to Christ Covenant Fellowship on our Spotify. Uh, We have a YouTube page. Uh, You can go there and you can uh, listen to any of uh, the ground, the the sermons and the ground that we have covered. Um, And, you know, I trust the Lord will will use that time that we spent uh, for his glory uh, to the praise of his great name. Uh, for the next six weeks, I'm just kind of kind of lay out wh- where we're going next as a church. Uh, for the next six weeks, uh, we're going to do a study on the five solas. I know I said six, but we're going to have an introduction week um, and just kind of look at uh, the, the the solas. The uh, and the, the solas are five statements that are that are foundational um, statements and truths found in Scripture that are uh, just foundational for our, our salvation, how we are saved, how we uh, come to know. Uh, Christ. Then, Lord willing, we're going to spend about uh, nine to twelve weeks uh, in the Old Testament looking at uh, a minor prophet by the name of Amos. Uh, And uh, so I'm excited uh, and just uh, asking the Lord to prepare our hearts for uh, what uh, he will teach us in the months to come. And really looking forward to uh, just studying together uh, with you all. Uh, Today, as I said, we're going to finish up our study in Philippians, so join me in Philippians chapter 4, and we're in verses 14 through 23, 14 through 23. If you are new to the Bible, hey, we are happy you're here and that uh, you are in the Bible, um, it's toward the end of the Bible. If you don't know where it's at, ask somebody beside you. There is no shame in that. Um, we want you to be able to navigate the Scripture. That's why we don't put it on the screen. I want you to be able to look at your Word, mark it up, highlight it, take notes, uh, do whatever's necessary. You'll always have this with you. You should, or at least a copy of it, right? They're on phones. So, Philippians 4, 14, through 23. I'm going to read this and then I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Paul writes, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me, they greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let us pray and ask God for his help. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you have given us instruction. And you help to guide us and navigate this life. Father, I need your help in this moment. Father, I ask that you would speak through me, that my words would not get in the way of what you may want to say. Father, I ask that you prepare each and every heart in here for uh, what you would have them to leave here with, Lord. Would you uh, transform us? Would you renew us today by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would we leave here different than we walked in? And what we know not, would you teach us? And what we are not, would you make us? And what we have not? Would you give us by your grace, for your glory, in Christ's name? God's people said. Amen. So last week we looked at one of the most abused verses in the Bible, and I say it's abused because it's uh, it's often mistreated. Philippians four thirteen, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And what? we saw is that Paul's point is not that he can do anything he puts his mind to because Jesus is going to give him this uh, supernatural uh, strength and uh, supernatural ability to just fulfill his deepest desires. Rather, what the Apostle Paul is teaching is that he can be content in any situation, no matter what he is in, no matter what he is faced with, because Christ is right there strengthening and empowering him to endure no matter what. It's not the circumstance that he's asking to change. It's not that 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 needs to, to, to be removed. It's that he is transformed through it, through the power of Christ. See, Paul essentially says, my circumstance does not determine my contentment. Does not determine my contentment because my contentment is found in Christ. And, and Paul knows that Christ is working in spite and, and, and in the, the circumstances that he is in. Uh, see, that's why in verse 11 he says, I have learned in whatever situation, right? in whatever situation I am to be content. He doesn't remove himself from the situation. He says, no matter my situation that I'm in, guess what? I must be content because Christ is enough. Now, we have to pause here. Um, This will help us to kind of assess the situation and to kind of navigate the the passages, uh, the verses that are in front of us. Now, let's remember, let's recap the situation. So Paul is in prison. Uh, The Philippians, who they don't have much. Uh, These brothers and sisters, they, they don't have a lot. And they've sent Paul a gift by way of Epaphroditus, Our brother Epaph, he almost dies on the way. Paul says, hey, that Epaph, he got uh, sick. Uh, And now, what this letter is Paul's response to the gift that was received, and then also his instruction from the report that Epaphroditus has given to him. So they've gone out of their way, they've sent Paul one of their best guys. They've, they've scrambled up whatever they can get together, and they say, here you go, Paul. And Paul basically says, like, I don't need it. Like, I I don't I don't need it. It was great that you gave it to me, but I don't need it. See, in verses 10 through 13, the Philippians could have very easily taken Paul's words to, to mean that he did not value their support. He, he, right? I mean, you imagine that, right? We, we scrape up some stuff, and I'll use cat for an example, and we, we send her some money, she writes back, I don't even need it, because I've learned how to be content. High, low, sickness, health. Paul just says, I know my situation looks bleak, but I'm good. He says, I'm fine. I'm not in need. I'm not in need. I don't need your gift. Look, brothers and sisters, we we have to pause, and we need to ask ourselves, like how often do we approach situations with a totally different perspective and outlook than the Apostle Paul. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, I will admit that I usually look at undesirable situations through the lens of, well, I just need that, whatever that may be. I just need that. If that will just happen, if this will just happen, then, then it'll make things better. I'll be happy. But Paul says here, he says, I don't need anything. I've got Christ. I've got Christ. Uh, Good time for reflection. Do you have Christ? And, And if you do, have you committed that He is enough? No matter what the situation. But Before Paul can be found guilty of insulting the gift of the Philippians, he commends them here on their generosity. He commends them. And look, we we can all grow in the area of generosity, right? Generosity is a good thing. Paul tells the church in Corinth, give cheerfully, be a cheerful giver. We should all aim to live lives that are marked by radical generosity. And look, I believe that Paul's placement of his words here is no accident. I think the message that he's kind of given us is clear in the, in the, uh, the way that this uh, paragraph kind of uh, transpires in front of us, the way we see it uh, go through the transitions He starts by saying, follow my example. I don't need anything. He says, don't think that you need things to be content. Be content in Christ. Because I think his argument here is, when you have that mindset, Your things don't control you, and you can give them generously. You you give them away because they're not controlling you. You're not attached to these material possessions in a way that you won't let them go. Um, In other words, uh, as Martin Luther puts it, possessions belong in your hands, not in your hearts. And I'll add to that, they belong to your hand so you can easily let them go. So you can let them go. Here Paul closes with a reminder that we should be ready and willing to freely give whatever God calls us to give. However, whatever that looks like. And look, generosity will look different for for everyone. It's going to look different, but we must see this framework that Paul lays out. Uh, The title for our talk for this sermon is Gospel-Fueled Generosity. That's the lens I want us to look through. And what we're going to do here is we're going to build a framework for gospel-fueled generosity. How do we live generous lives marked by radical generosity that's fueled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what we're going to work through. We're going to work through three things here. I don't want to lay these out for you. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. But the first thing we'll see is a practical example, practical examples of gospel-centered and gospel-fueled generosity then we're going to see a warning for recipients of gospel-fueled generosity. Then we're going to see the right motivation. So we'll see practical examples, a warning, and then we'll see the right motivation. Let's look at practical examples of gospel-centered Gospel-fueled generosity. He says, yet it was kind of you. This is transitioning from I don't need it, but yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Then it's verse 15, he goes on, he says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. So here we see three examples of gospel-centered generosity. One, we see we've got to be willing. We have to be willing. See, Paul tells the Philippians that they shared in his trouble. They were willing to share in his troubles. And what this speaks to is a deep partnership and willingness to partner with others regardless of the outcome. Like, When you put yourself in situations where your comforts, Your own security even can be compromised for the sake of the gospel. Are you willing to invest in others, to share with others? Paul basically says, you did good to become partners in my affliction, (laughs) my troubles. You didn't sit back and cheer me on. You didn't just say, uh, well, he's, he's, doing, he's doing a great work there. He says, no, they shared in the troubles, his afflictions that he was going through. See, Paul wanted his readers to understand that giving to support his ministry was taking up fellowship with him as a partner in his present tribulations. They didn't say we'll wait until he gets done with that then we'll get involved. Said so, no, we're, we're willing to get involved now. We're going to share in the troubles. I mean though the Philippians were not in prison with Paul, they participated in his afflictions by their sympathy, by their financial giving and sacrifice. And remember As they shared his troubles, they were doing so amidst the context of their own suffering, their own persecution. It wasn't like they were living high on the hog. They weren't sitting up in an ivory palace throwing down gifts. They were going through hardships. I mean, how many times do we have the mindset that I'll I'll do that when I get here? Well, once I accomplish this, then I'll be generous. Remember what Paul tells them in chapter 1, verses 29 and 30. He says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict. Engaged, it's this terminology that he's using here. He says, you engage in the conflict that you saw that I have and that I still have. You're willing to get involved. Brothers and sisters, we cannot base our level of generosity on the level of discomfort it may cause us. We must Engage. We must be willing. Because Paul commends this church for their willingness to be involved. But they weren't just willing. We see this second example in the next verse. The Philippians were eager. They were willing, but they were also eager. In verse 15, Paul says the Philippian church helped immediately once they begin to understand the gospel. And why is that? Why should we change when we respond to the gospel? Because the gospel does not leave us where we were. The gospel changes us. And if you haven't been changed by the gospel, then brother and sister, I would question if you understand The gospel. The gospel has the power to save. The gospel has the power to change us. See, we're called to consistently evaluate, take inventory of our lives, to check our hearts, to check our motives, to ask ourselves: have have I been truly change, and then praise be to God for the power that he does in and through us. Verse 15, Paul says, they helped me. See, Paul is here. He's reminding the church in Philippi of a time where they supported him. He says, you guys help me out here. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11.9 gives us this really uh, fascinating corroboration uh, here at this point. He says in 2 Corinthians 11.9, when he's writing to the church in Corinth, he says, And when I was with you and was in need, he says, I didn't burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. So he tells the church in Corinth, and he, he tells them that, hey, because the church in Corinth, they were, they were very prideful. They, they had a lot, and they wanted to, to give stuff away because it made them look good. And he says, I'm not taking anything from you. But this little church in Philippi that did not have much, who was new, who had just be coming to understand the gospel, to acknowledge the saving power of Jesus Christ. They were eager to help. I mean, they were ready. Listen, if you're new to the faith, you don't have to have it all figured out. <laughs> you don't compare your walk with someone that's been walking with the Lord for decades, even years. It's okay to be where you are and to grow we talk about this all the time discipleship and uh, taking the older uh, members, taking the younger under their wing, discipling them. That's what we want to see for our church. But, brother and sister, let me encourage you do not wait. Be eager to live a life that is marked by generosity, time, talents, treasure. It's the body. It's the body of Christ, the family. We all have a part to play. You don't have to to wait till a certain point to get there. And then we see this third example. We see they were intentional. They were intentional. We see in verse 16 that they sent aid to him in Thessalonica more than one time. It says the phrase, once and again, uh, with this phrase, it, it comes from a Greek word that means again and again, more than once. So they didn't just do it one time. Uh, it wasn't just, some, uh, just uh, um, a random gift. There must have been specific needs that they knew that Paul had. There was a recurring need that Paul had. Had. These weren't just random acts of kindness, which those are good too. but They were intentional. They were specific for Paul's unique situation. He commends them on this specific time. He says, remember that time? Remember that time you, you helped me? I mean, can you imagine the, the partnership, the fellowship, the love? the remembrance, the memories of this church and the relationship with the Apostle Paul. And what this encourages us to do is, man, we've got to know one another. This isn't a show up and go home and come back next week. That's why membership is important. That's why fellowship, that's why the gathering Man, if if you show up here once a month, you know, usually I I have conversations with with people and they'll say, you know, I'm just not feeling connected. That's because you come once every six weeks to the gathering. Of course you're not connected. I know everyone here isn't an extrovert. That's okay. But we must be intentional with getting to know one another, spending time with one another. The other thing it tells us is, we got to pray for one another. Members, get the directory. Pray through the directory. Commit to praying for the members once a week. Take a few each day. You know, that's how the, the Lord will, will work and remind us of, of the needs within the body. We've got to be a, a body of believers that are committed to one another, committed to praying for one another, committed to knowing one another. Paul tells the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. You make a decision. He says not reluctantly or under compulsion. It's not that we feel pressure to do it, but we know one another and we are eager to give. To one another. For God loves a cheerful giver. So, three practical examples of gospel fueled generosity willing, eager, and intentional. Next, we see in verse 17, we see uh, warnings. Well, 17 and 18 warnings for recipients, warnings for He says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, at first read, uh, you may not see the warning uh, very clearly, but let's look closely here. See, Paul wants to make sure that the Philippians do not think he is doing this for the gift. Like, like he's just not doing this for what they can give to him. He's not doing what he does to earn something. He's not taking the, the easy way out here. He says, I don't seek the gift. That's not the point of this. He said, it's not the goal. Paul's also here, he's kind of guarding the, the cultural pressures that would turn this partnership into a kind of a transactional relationship, right, where, where Paul does something so then they have to respond and it's more of a transactional relationship rather than a partnership and fellowship within the gospel. He says, I'm not in this for gain. And this is so vital for us to see and to understand as we evaluate our own hearts and ask God to keep us from the sin of greed and manipulation in relationships. I mean, how easy it is to manipulate relationships to get what we want out of them. So easy. You know, especially Christian relationships where someone may uh, put their guard down. My fear is there are many who claim the role of pastor, in our American culture, who manipulate the gospel for gain. They they use it for their own gain. We see some examples. We see some warnings that Paul gives for us all. First Thessalonians 2, 5 through 6. If you're taking notes, you can write them down. You don't have to turn there. First Thessalonians 2, 5 through 6. He tells the church in Thessalonica, he says, For we never came with words of flattery. These words just kind of, you know, oh, you, know you, you guys are awesome. Man, y'all are just such a beautiful crowd today. So we didn't come with these words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. He says, nor did we seek glory from people. It's not about your praise. It's about his praise. In Acts 20, 34 through 35, Paul tells him, he says, I-, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. He says, I wasn't seeking stuff. I wanted to serve. I wanted to give myself to these people. In Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians <laughs> 2:17. Paul lays it out. He says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. How many peddlers of God's word do we see today? Prostituting the gospel, taking something beautiful and using it for personal gain. But he says, we were men of sincerity. We were commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. 1 Timothy 6, 5 through 6, he reminds them, he says, there's people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means for gain. He says, there's a warning for anyone who would take the gospel the ministry, God's word, and use it for their own personal gain. We must all check our hearts. We must all ask ourselves, right? We're evaluating relationships. We're evaluating our, our, our partnerships. Our, 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 even when we're serving others, are we doing it for a pat on the back Look what I did. Are we doing it for the Facebook posts, the Instagrams? To make sure everyone knew how well we served our neighbor. Are we doing it for the praise of man? Are we doing it for the glory of God? Paul warns us. And Paul says that we should not seek gifts and Ministry, But rather, we should seek the fruit that comes from the gift. There's a fruit that comes. Now what this means is there are eternal profits of their investments. There are eternal profits of the church of Philippi's investment into Paul's life. See, at the end of service, like I said, we're going to hear from Kat Reese, who's going to share about what the Lord is doing in Sweden, why she's going there. And like we said, everybody can't go there, but we as a church, we've committed to give financially to her, to pray for her, because we want to see the fruit of the ministry that she will endure there. We want to see the fruit. We want to see lives changed by the power of the gospel. Cat's not doing it to get rich. There's many other things she could pursue. We're partnering with the Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center, right? We're financially giving to them. And why? Because we want to see the fruit of God getting glory through the lives of the unborn being saved. I mean, it's something tangible we can, we can see. And that is the goal of our generosity. Fruit. I want to see results. I want to see God getting glory from lives being saved and changed by hearing and responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about anything else. We gather, we worship, we give, we live for the praise of His glory. See, God deserves worship. And we evangelize, we share the good news, so others will worship Him too. There is a, a beauty of the personal relationship, but at the end, the, glory is the, or the, the goal is that God gets the glory and the, the worship that He deserves. It's God's wondrous work of salvation, amen? It's nothing we can do. We get no glory. We're deflectors of glory in generosity and in everything. So this is, and then our final framework, right? This is the right motivation for gospel-fueled generosity, it's this final part of the framework that Paul lays out for us here. Look at verses 19 through 20. He says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus And then he leaves us with this doxology, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. I mean, can you see Paul writing this and and saying it rather, and just being overwhelmed by what he's remembering, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's reiterating the fact that God will give you all you need when you are working to make much of him we can't think of giving as, as as something that we're 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 getting rid of rather we are gaining when we give paul says look you're going to get way more than you give you can't outgive god right he tells him that god who has provided him remember paul uses his own life, his own example. He says, God has provided me with everything and he will gladly do the same for you. He shows us then of how God actually supplies their needs. And it may not be exactly how we would choose, like through our flesh, because it it, it causes some friction with the, the tension that we wrestle with living in this world causes some tension as we wrestle with the, the old self and the, we, we wrestle with the temptation and the sin because we like stuff, right? You shake your heads, everyone likes stuff. But here's how God supplies their needs. He says one, which we read in the text, he says, according to his riches. (laughs) According to his riches. And what this means is that the measure of God's supply will be according to the riches of God. And guess what, brothers and sisters? God has a lot more riches than you. He has a lot more riches than anyone. Paul tells the church in Ephesus, he says, "Uh, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, the grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable. Ponder that word for a minute. Unsearchable riches of Christ. The, the, The riches of God in Christ are Unsearchable. They're powerful. Then he says that God supplies needs in glory. This is the second phrase we see here. And what this points to is the transcendence and the final experience of God's eternal riches. See, God's riches aren't on Wall Street. They're not in the the real estate market. They can't be measured by uh, bank accounts or investments. They are eternal. All this stuff, right? It's going to go. But God's riches are eternal. Remember our Savior's words in John 14.3, 14.3, he says, I go and prepare a place for you. He says, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I mean, eternity in glory with our Savior, in perfect relationship with one another, perfect relationship with Creator God, because of imputed righteousness given to us through Christ. Eternal. See, we can't fathom it. We can't understand it. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. Especially you young folks in here. I know you you, you feel like, man, you know, I'll never reach that age. Oh, you will. (laughs) Quicker than you know it. But eternity, the glory that is to be found. And it's in Christ Jesus. It's Paul's next words here. He says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And Paul has used this phrase to open the letter. And now he closes with it as well. Here we see that God's supplying of our needs is not based on our performance. Praise be to God. It's based on Christ's performance. It's based on His righteousness. See, see we are when we are found in Him, in Christ, covered by the blood of Christ, united with Christ, only then these riches given to us See, his righteousness is now our righteousness. And what wonderful news for all of us who are painfully aware of our lack of righteousness. Amen? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. Once was lost, but now I'm found. I mean, what beautiful language there. And Here, Paul reminds us, right, See, that's the reason for all of this, is for His glory. We, we see our lack. We see His generosity. And in turn, we live in a way that shows, like, I'm not connected to this stuff. This stuff doesn't control me. I have a God who has been so generous, so giving, that I will gladly give Whatever it is away. God gets the glory to our God and Father. Be glory forever and ever. Amen is what Paul closes that thought with. See, as Christians, we realize God sends his only son to die the death we deserve so we can have the life that we don't deserve now and for eternity. He gives himself to us. Romans 8.32 reminds us, He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a God, and what a compelling reason to give generously to the praise and glory of God the Father. Paul then closes this letter with just a personal touch, and we're going to read this quickly. And He says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me greet you, all the saints greet you. And then he has this uh, phrase here, he says, or this, he says, especially those of Caesar's. Household, he, he makes that uh, he makes sure to, to write that in there, and there's a reason for that, I believe. And then he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And what this does is the, the call to greet every saint, it, it shows the personal nature of Paul's letter here. We've talked about that. And then this, this addition of Caesar's household, Caesar's uh, household could really, it refers to kind of this royal family it could be anyone connected to the emperor's service uh, soldiers uh, uh, free folks slaves and it's likely that some of those that were in the household of Caesar have now converted to the message that Paul is preaching He, he talks about that through this letter and he says as a reminder to them, there is fruit happening here. These, these people that have pledged allegiance to Caesar have now renounced that pledge and have now pledged allegiance to Christ. And now we're in Christ. And now are a part of the family that is eternal. May this be an encouragement to us. May it be compelling argument to share the gospel, to live generously regardless of our situations, remembering Paul's circumstance, and may we be a church that gives to the needs of one another and others as long as the Lord shall have us here. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. And Father, I pray now that you would grant us all generous hearts that would bring glory to your name. Lord, that you would help us to dislodge ourselves from the the pride of, of desire of wanting and finding our identity in what we have and what we can gain in this life. Lord, help us to be people who are satisfied fully and wholly in the gospel of Jesus Christ, our identity in him. And God, we thank you that you did not spare your own son. But that you did, you graciously, you gave him. And Lord, help us to trust us, trust you, that you will graciously give us all things. To the power and praise of your great name. In Christ's name we pray, amen.